What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode three of Twigs and Twine. Today, it's uh, just going to be me and Alex, as uh, Joey has some other matters to attend to. Alex, how are you doing this evening? Not too bad. Doing just fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So uh, before we get into our interview with athletic reporter Josh Cloak, just want to go over a few th- uh, few things that are going on around the NHL this week. And I want to start off with Joe Thornton. Um, in the game against the Senators, I forgot if it was the – I forgot when exactly it was, but he had a goal uh, called back when he was put – he was pushing the for quote unquote pushing the goalie into the net, which he was he, technically he was doing it, but at the same time the puck was loose and he was going straight like for the puck. It wasn't one of those things where you just go and throw the goalie into the net, which like per, personally I think a rule like that should be changed because like at, if you think about it, like the puck's loose, it's a good it's a good clean battle. Like yeah, it should, it should be fair game. What do you think? No, I, I agree with you. If the puck's open and it's not being covered by the goalie, it should be fair game. You know, you're still trying to get the goal. Just because the puck is in and around the pad, you know, you're not going to let off it. If anything, you know, you're going harder than you were before. Um, but I have a feeling the league's been really inconsistent with the with all these kind of calls. And um, I think there just has to be a little more consistency with it going forward. Personally, I think that rule should should be scrapped if the puck is in and around the goalie's pad you know you're still going for the goal you're going hard on the play but uh obviously in this case it was disallowed i don't agree with it yeah exactly like if you think about it if you think about it in soccer they have um a rule like obviously slide t- if you slide tackle somebody and you're going for the strictly for the legs to foul but yeah if you if there's like proof that you're going to make contact with the ball and you end up and you make contact with the ball first or more prominently, then it gets called like it doesn't get called uh, a foul. Yeah, and also like you mentioned, it's gonna like they don't have a precedence for it. The game tonight, we're recording this on Saturday the twentieth, and um, the Leafs were playing the the Habs, and the exact same thing happened against Toronto, and it was called a goal, and the the refs reviewed it, and they called it a goal, and um, only for a coach's challenge to come and. Uh, come out from Sheldon Keefe and the Leafs and they ended up calling it back because it was the exact same play that Thornton pulled a few days prior. Yeah. So like at the, that just, it shows the lack of precedence in the, in this league and like they need to be more concrete with the rules and rules like that, they should get rid of. It, yeah. It, especially when they're so subjective like that. Um, you know, it's always the decision. Okay. Did he push a little too much or, uh, was there a chance to make the save? All there's so many different, um, so many different things that come into play. So I think overall it should just be scrapped. If the puck is loose and there is a chance for the goal, by all means go at it. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm not 100% sure who exactly said it, but I know on tonight on the broadcast during during I think it was the first or second period, um, Kevin Bieksa said like they were they were discussing this and Kevin Bieksa said on the panel that he believes that he agrees with us that the that rule should be get, uh, abolished mm-hmm. and then you have but then you had Kelly Rudy the former goalie former longtime NHL goalie yeah. who was all for keeping that rule for the purpose of protecting goalies yeah I can see where he's coming from there especially him being a uh, a former goalie but I think if you took a consensus with most people that are hockey fans I think they'd want the rule scrapped too Exactly. Like, the, I don't know. Once you get, once you 
if you keep a rule like that, like it gets rid of the battle, it gets rid of um, the the intensity of those Nephron battles. Like yeah. you can you can see like okay, I get it, I get it. Like goalies, like you shouldn't like they need to be treated like more. They should be protected a little more. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Like which is why we have the goaltender interference rule, which yeah. is why we have rules to protect goalies because like they're more susceptible for, to getting like na- to getting nailed for lack of a better term. Yeah. Which, like yeah. Like. Let's again, like I'm all for I'm all for the rule of you can't push the goalie into the net, uh, like the goal get called back. But that's only if the puck is like if the goalie's covering it, and then it, you and you have a guy so you don't have guys going in and just demol like uh, pile driving a goalie into the net. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. But in an instant, like, in an instance like that where the puck was completely loose, like any anybody under the sun can see that, any one of the pair of eyes could see it. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that should not. It should just be fair game. It should just be fair exactly, game. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Staying on the to- staying on the topic of goalies, uh, Jakob Markstrom t- uh, earlier this week against the Canucks, he ended up uh, channeling his inner Dominic Hasek and coming out and basically going to the ha- the top of the circle to make uh, dive two diving saves or attempt to make two diving saves. He was successful on one against Tanner Pearson, I think it was, and yep. then the second and the second one he was unsuccessful. Which personally, I love seeing plays like that because, like, it's just so it's so exciting. Like, it's something out of completely out of the ordinary. You never you never expect a goalie in the who no no goalies in their right mind would go out and do that. Yeah. So, like, when you see when you see it like that happen every once in a while, it's just like it's it's entertainment, and that's basically what the NHL is going for: entertainment. Yeah, I, I I absolutely loved what he did the first time. You know, he was able to make the stop, and he absolutely smoked Tanner Pearson. Like, just took him out, took his legs out. Um, but when you go to the well one too many times, there's a good chance you're going to get caught. And he tried it with Bo Horvat, and he was able to make him pay on that one. And that one's on Markstrom. I think he should have known better. If you rewatch the clip, he was a little hesitant the second time going out. I think he knew that there was a good possibility that he's going to get burned. Um, if he made the decision right on the spot to go, I think he would have had it. But I think he knew um, the second time that maybe he shouldn't have done it. I mean, hockey's a game of uh, split seconds, so any little bit of hesitation will always fuck you over in the end. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, so moving on. And we, we discussed this with uh, Josh Cloak in our interview that you're going to see later on in the episode. Alex Alchenyuk going from Carolina to Toronto, being traded for the second time in a week, going to Carolina from Toronto in exchange for prospects, if you want to call him that. He's basically like a show, uh, he's basically in that show me stage. Um, and he's 24 years old. Igor Korshkov, a Russian winger, and as well as AHL career AHL defenseman David Warsawski who they acquired in the Kaspari Kapanen trade. Um I don't know personally I I don't see sorry I I would not have made that move but I do see why they made it. Like he's making a million bucks or like a million a million and fifty grand. So it's a bearable contract. So if you throw him on waivers that contract's bear is buried all the all 100 percent of that cap hit. He's already mm-hmm. been placed on waivers by and cleared from Carolina. So you don't have to put on waivers again for the next, I think it's three months, mm-hmm. so, which is the rest of the season. So you can throw them up. You can bring them up and down from the taxi squad to, or the AHL up to the big club whenever you need. And he's been working with player development staff. And we got into this with, um, with cloak. And I think that Toronto's got one of, has, has got like a top 10 player development staff 
in the yeah. league going like just judging off what they did with guys like Justin Hall, what they did with like those homegrown talents, guys like Travis Dermott, who yeah. granted he was a second round pick, but like they did help him, helped him like nurture him into the defenseman that he is. So I don't, I, I, I don't a hundred percent agree with that trade. I do see why they did it though. And I'm not too pissed off about it. What do you think? I, I mean, I, again, I agree with you. I don't see the trade behind it or why um just because the Leafs have been getting a lot of help from their bottom six pairing or bottom six forwards um in the goal scoring department we'll take a look over the last few games um Travis Boyd Alex Kerfoot Jason Spezza they've been helping out putting up goals on the board for them and I understand if they brought uh, Galchenyuk on just for being on the taxi squad and being that reason oh and other than that, I don't really, I don't really see the logic behind it. I could guess you can make the argument you have extra space for another contract once trade deadline comes around because there have been rumblings that they're going to look for another top six forward to help them out. But um, as of right now, I don't see uh, how it uh, helps them. But yeah, like you said, a, a very light contract that they're able to take on. So it, it shouldn't hurt them. It shouldn't hurt them. Yeah, and I like what you said about them shedding shedding away from that 50 contract limit because there have been rumors, and we again, we got into this with Cloak, about a guy like Mark uh, Michael Granlin from Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few other guys. Like there's – I think it was – I think Anthony Duclair was one of them as well because he's on a fairly cheap deal. Yeah. What's he, what is he, like 3 million bucks this year? Um, it is pretty low because he was signed a little later into the free agency season. I've also heard um, Bennett from the Flames could be yeah, a possibility in exchange for Engvall, but I don't know uh, how much validity those rumors have. Uh, yeah, I mean, you make a good point. And it's, yeah, I don't put much like credibility to the Bennett rumor because the whole perp- the whole point of him wanting to be dealt from Calgary is that he's not getting enough top six minutes, and he will yeah. not break. He will not crack the top six on that team. Yeah, he's a cent- he's a centerman, and um, you're not gonna like surpass guys like Austin or JT, even though JT is not having the best of seasons. Yeah, I, I don't think Toronto wouldn't be the place where uh, if Bennett was looking to get more minutes, Toronto would not be the place for him. Yeah, honestly, in terms of like just from Bennett's situation, I I look at a team like Ottawa or a team like Arizona who can use mm-hmm. who can use the top six forwards, like the top six scoring forwards. Yeah, I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, we'll monitor we'll monitor monitor that situation as it happens. My God, yeah. I can't speak tonight. Holy shit. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, any final thoughts on the on the Gachanyak uh, situation? No, I got what I got out of it. Uh, we did, like you said, touch on it a little bit into, later into the interview. So I think we're all right there. All right. And um, moving on, it was announced earlier today that the New Jersey Devils give first overall pick in 2017, Nico Heischer, the captaincy, which I know there's going to be a good ch- a good portion of people who th- like are surprised from this, thinking, oh, Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes is the savior of this team. He's gonna be—he's the one who should have been got, getting the C. But I don't know. Personally, I think that it was all—it would have been Heischer all along because they're both first overall picks. He's been around in this league for what four years now? Yeah, yep. four, three, four years now. So 
you'd have to think that they would have been that. I know it's kind. I know it's kind of like a cliche, but the tie always goes to the veteran. Yes, that's like, true. It just it's like you could look at Toronto with the Austin and JT situation, how they gave the tie to the veteran with mm-hmm. JT having his ten plus years of experience. Yeah. I don't know, what, are you, what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, I at first when I heard it, I was just kind of thinking, oh, you know, he's a little, he's a little young. We have seen younger players get the captaincy. You can look at McDavid getting it at 19 years old, but it's at it's on a different scale though. McDavid's the best player in the NHL, um, but I do think personally they should have waited to the end of this season just to give him a little more experience. Um, uh, in a leadership role without having a letter on his chest. Um, but he is the future of this squad. I know a lot of people will say, like you said, Jack Hughes is, but I do see Nico Heischer being the, the player that down the road, three, four years or so, is going to lead him to hopefully a, uh, a solid playoff run. I don't know about what you think. Uh, yeah, I do think that, like, I'll, granted, I don't follow Devils hockey that much, but I've seen, I've seen Heischer play a few times, like, obviously against the Leafs or like just watching it, watching some highlights. He's mm-hmm. got the skill, he's got the skills for it. He's had, he's had a better career to date, like up to date compared to a guy like Jack Hughes, who's going through, who's going through a slump. He actually, yeah. Jack, I don't know if you noticed Jack Hughes. I just saw this, like, before we started recording, he said to the New York times, if I could find it. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, via the New York Post, he said, I know one of these days, sooner or later, I'm going to be a star in this league. And I think this and this was in response to um, Heischer getting the captaincy. So, yeah. I don't know if that, that shows a little bit of cockiness on his part, in my opinion, but he's got skill. He's got skills. You've seen, like, we've seen him play in uh, the U.S. Uh, national team development program at the World Juniors. He's got the tools. He's just, he doesn't have the... Um, the guy, I don't think he has the proper guidance because if you look at that team, yeah, like, if you look at that team, it's very young. Like, who do they have? They have Travis Zajac, who honestly, that was kind of one of my picks. He was like my top two picks, him and he shared for the captaincy because I thought that or I figured that he's he's what 36, 37 now. He's on yeah. his last year of his contract, and like, considering they gave they gave the, the captaincy before to a guy like Andy Green, like they would put the emphasis on the or, or, yeah, the emphasis on the veterans. So. On the veterans, yeah. I don't and know. That, first, sorry, I'm gonna, just give me one last second. Yeah, yeah. Um, but personally, that team I feel is like way too young. Like it's more on the younger side. Like I'm trying to think. Like off the top of my head, the, the veterans they have. They got Zajac, like I mentioned. They got Palmieri, uh, mm-hmm. Subban. Other than Subban. That, other than that, who else do they have? Uh, off the top of my head here, um, or I do have. The uh, the roster in front of me here, um, yeah, like you said, th- those three are the mo- more uh, veteran veteran guys they have. But just scanning through their uh, their lineup here, I mean, you have Janssen, Andres Janssen, who's been in the league for a little while, um, Michael McLeod. Um, yeah, the it's it's a very very young young roster. You could have also made the argument Sammy Vatanen. On the oh, back I for, end. I forgot about that. And then how old is he? Yeah. He's like, what, 29? Uh, born in 91. Yeah, 29. 29, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a very, a very possible or realistic choice to be a captain. 
but I still do think that the future of the New Jersey Devils is with Nico Heischer. Yeah, you make a point. But in terms of Vatman, like this, they traded him at the deadline and they re-signed him on a one-year deal, like halfway through the off season. So I yeah. wouldn't have, like, I don't think he would have been the best option. Yeah, it just showed, yeah, he may not be in their long-term plans for the Devils, which is a valid excuse on why you wouldn't give it to him. And from moving on from one devil to another, uh, so sorry, from one devil to a former devil, uh, the Anaheim Ducks announced today that they placed forward Adam Henrique on waivers. He's in the second year of, of a, a five-year, yeah. I want to say 20, $29.75 million contract. 29, 29. Yeah, 29. Yeah, he's in the second season of a five-year, $29.125 million deal. Yep. Ugh. I don't like he he had he was serviceable in um in jersey he had he would average plus numbers like and put up put up a decent amount of points he was always money in the bank for like 15 either but he was like 15 to 30 goals or 15 to 20 goals he had that one blip year when he had 30 goals in 15 16 with the devils 30 goals 20 points or 20 assists but like his production ever since he was traded for Vatanen, actually, like we met, uh, yeah. we spoke about him to the after he got traded to the Ducks, like he's been going down production, like points wise, he's maintained those points, but he's been going down from a more of a defensive standpoint. He went from a averaging pl- uh, a plus season through most of his career to the past three, uh, the past two seasons, minus five, minus two, and now in sixteen games, he's got three goals, one assist. And he's a minus eight. So I know last week we touched on James Neal more uh, as being a guy who he could put up points. At, he could put up points, but he's not. He's a more of a liability on the back end. Which yeah, I think I think this is the same kind of situation. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm not. I don't follow too closely with the Anaheim Ducks, but this this is worked out to be a uh, quite the horrendous deal. Like you said, three goals and one assist in 16 games. The Ducks investment just isn't turning out the way that um that the way that they would have hoped. And the Ducks are also in a cap crunch. So hopefully them trying to get rid of this contract will help them out. But he just hasn't been producing the way that they hoped. And like you said, his prior years um with the Devils, he's had good years. And you know they ex- they extended him, but uh, it just hasn't worked out the way they would have liked. And it just last season he was their leading goal scorer and point producer. So it just shows you how how quickly things can change. And uh, the Ducks have had enough, and they put him on waivers. Wait, was he actually their leading point producer last year with forty three yeah. with forty three points? That's what I'm seeing here. Yeah. Oh God, how the mighty have fallen. Um, <laughs> I'm just curious, since you're there, what was uh, Get's last point? Get, yeah, Get's last point total last year. Uh, let me take a look here. I'm on NBC reading this here. So, I'm. Not, I believe last year he did have a down year, if I do remember correctly. Um, you know what? Sorry, yeah. I, got it, I got it right here. Just give me one second. Uh, Ryan Getzloff, yeah, there was. Yeah, you're right. Adam Henrique with 43 points last year as the uh, as the team lead in points. They had two guys behind him with 42, Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel. So, and he was far, he, 
yeah, leading the team in, in goals and in points, 26 goals to lead the team. Um, you can't have, you can't have that, uh, that kind of point production at the top of your lineup. Yeah. If you want to be a, a successful team, like I get it that they're going through a little bit of a, of a rebuild, getting some younger guys in guys like Sam Steele, guys like getting a guy like, like, um, I don't know what the hell's his name. Why Comtois? Yeah, Comtois. Yeah. I like Comtois. Um, like I get it. You're going through a little bit of a, a youth movement, so you're not like you're not going to be as competitive as you were in the past. But like, mm-hmm. like come on, like you can't be going off. Still want to have better your top scores putting on more than forty three points in seventy one games. It's just not going to cut it. And um, yeah, they, they've had enough with it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I'm trying to think. Like I, if I remember, if I remember correctly, um, even like the Leafs when they that season they finished last, the year they got Austin, um, I think their top score had something like sixty points. Yeah, yeah. It was just the the top scorer did well, and um, you know he, he's not going to carry the whole team, but you still have to put up points, even if you're going through a rebuild. If you want to be a part of that team in the long run and be a part of their future you have to help out all right so yeah my mistake there the season the leafs uh finished last place nazim kadra was leading the team in points with 45 <laughs> oh 45 yeah that okay. wasn't never mind don't don't quote me don't uh put any emphasis on what i just said about uh about uh, the leafs all right so uh yeah i think it's time we uh we send you guys off to our interview with uh josh cloak uh, it was a pleasure talking to him. I hope you get, we hope you guys enjoy. We are happy to have Josh Cloak on the show today, Toronto Maple Leafs reporter for The Athletic. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing well, you? Doing great, doing great. Um, so, yeah, let's get right into it then. Um, so, what's, uh, so you've, had a, you've had an extensive career as, in, as a sports journalist and reporter. Like, what inspired you and what led to you getting into this career choice? I mean, it's the kind of career that I think a lot of, you know, people that are into sports kind of secretly hope maybe that they could do, but but also wonder how to do it. Um, I mean, I, I grew up, it's kind of cliche, I guess, but I grew up, you know, reading uh, the newspaper every single day, had it, you know, delivered to my parents' place um, growing up and, you know, like a lot of, you know, sports nuts, you'd kind of tear open the paper and grab the the sports section and kind of, you know, read through various opinions and that kind of thing. And it was always just great to kind of get different opinions on sports. This was obviously a very different time. If I'm talking about newspaper delivery, this was pre-internet. Um, but I think too, just when it comes to, to sports and, and sports journalism, um, the thing that always interested me um, more than anything was just, uh, you know, creating stories about players as people. Um, I think we, you know, a, a lot of people want to learn more about the athletes that they love to watch and, and want to learn more about what makes them tick. And, you know, we talk a lot about in sports about, you know, wanting to have more characters in the game and how, you know, sometimes characters can be stifled in certain sports. I mean, you look at the NBA, the NBA kind of embraces characters. And so as I was kind of growing up, I loved reading, you know, player profiles and and character pieces. So I think that was kind of a, a big inspiration for me was just because that that stuff is interesting. You know, we watch 
these athletes, you know, we, we follow our favorite teams closely, but we rarely get to know about who these, you know, guys and girls are and what kind of makes them tick. So that was something that, that always really interested me. And, you know, I started in music journalism and that is all, you know, character profile pieces, what makes these artists, you know, interesting, what inspires them. And, and I tried to kind of bring a little bit of that to my early, I guess, sports reporting. And, and I hope that I still do something like that. So that's kind of what really inspired me early on. Um, you mentioned music journalism. I'm sorry. You mentioned your career as in, uh, journalism for music. Uh, you got any stories coming out from uh, that endeavor? Well, I mean, it 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 always felt really strange at first, kind of you know talking to some of these artists that you grew up listening to. But I think when you when it comes to that kind of thing, you you always just like to to talk to anybody you interview, you know, big musicians, athletes, whatever, just talk to them as, as people. Right. And, and I, you know, I remember meeting with a lot of kind of young music journalists that I would, you know, write with and, and we were all kind of coming up in the same kind of place. And at the same time in Vancouver um, where I really started writing and, and, you know, I remember some of us would get nervous about, the people we would talk about. But again, like if you just approach them as people, it leads to some really great conversations, conversations that you, you know, don't necessarily expect them to go in the place that they did. But um, wild stories, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I think like anything else, you know, people can be a bit guarded with the media, but I, I will just say that like getting to know musicians just and athletes just as people has definitely been, you know, one of the more rewarding parts of my job. What would you say would be the highlight from, uh, we're going to get into the sports in a second, but what, what do you say would be your highlights of your music uh, career, like your music journalism career? Um, well, I mean, uh, I, I came up at a certain time when, you know, listening to the Tragically Hip was everything. You know, they were just, they were a, a much kind of, I mean, they're a legendary band now. They have a, a kind of Hall of Fame status now. But when I came up, they were kind of in their prime. So getting to interview Gord Downey a few times was was really wild. You know, I remember I had a, I, I, I missed, I had a, an interview scheduled with Gord Downey and I uh, I couldn't believe that it was happening. And, and I was so excited. I was so nervous. I went, <laughs> I went to the bathroom just like a minute before the interview was supposed to start. And I came back and I had a missed call from Gord Downey and I, he left me a voicemail, which I know seems kind of strange at the time or now nobody leaves voicemails, but he didn't. I remember I played that voicemail to like <laughs> all my friends at the bar, uh, like the next night, it was just this very basic voicemail, but it was so cool to kind of have, uh, and especially now thinking about it now, but, uh, yeah, so I guess that's a highlight of Gord Downey voicemail. And moving on to your um, to the sports side of things, so what from music? What led you into sports, and more specifically, what led you into like Toronto-based sports? I mean, I grew up just like being obsessed with sports, um, and that never really went away. I mean, even when I was a music journalist, I didn't really, you know, I think a lot of people think there's this divide between the two, but I didn't see it that way, and. Um, I just, again, like the more and more I kind of obsessed over sports, uh, it, I just started kind of pitching 
um, stories as a freelancer to, to sports journalism outlets and, and just kind of made that switch, I guess, really naturally. Um, my wife is from Vancouver, and so we, we spent a lot of time living out there. And then eventually we moved back to Toronto probably because of, you know, the opportunities that were here. And, and um, yeah, one thing kind of led to another. I mean, I grew up watching the Jays, the Leafs, the Raptors really, really, really closely, uh, Toronto FC. And, and um, yeah, that, the, the opportunity there just kind of led me to, to, to get into it. And I think just, again, if, if it was anything like, you know, it's, it's an obsession, right? And, and I, I get asked sometimes about like getting into this field and, and whatever, but like, that's kind of what drives, I think a lot of people's just a sheer obsession with, you know, the people, the numbers, the stories, the, the results. So just being like literally obsessed with, with sports and being able to, you know, recite things that, that probably, I mean, like a lot of us that that probably takes you a, a, a pretty long way so I think having an obsessive kind of brain over sports probably might not make you a lot of fun at at, at dinner parties but it, it definitely kind of helps you move a little bit forward just because you 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 just become so devoted to your you know to your effort in in when it comes to journalism right You're exactly exactly um so you've been a part of the athletic for a few years now can you tell us like how like your experience like how that led how, how you got that offer to start with the athletic was it just freelance or yeah I, when they came to Toronto when they came to Toronto I I was I I just started writing for them as a you know as a freelancer and did a lot of TFC coverage and some Leafs coverage and and uh, just kind of stuck with it I mean that's that's really you know I that's really the I don't know if it's the secret to freelancing, but just just being relentless and sticking at it. Uh, and that just kind of led to a full-time position, which I had long wanted. Um, but yeah, the athletic was just such an, like just such an exciting, it still is, but it was, it was just such an exciting um, endeavor early on kind of having the, the, the freedom to, to go, you know, into interesting and different places with, with the storytelling. Um, and I'm just, you know, incredibly grateful to be able to do the work that I do. You, um, so you said, you mentioned that you, you did some work with TF, like reporting for TFC. And, um, so was were you given the option to do like to carve out your niche, uh, just with a, uh, to more with the Leafs or was it just like by chance, by chance that that position was available? I wanted to do both. I mean, it was just at, at, at the time they're just, you know, because everything was just starting there. You know, I just said like, I, I, I mean, I grew up playing soccer year round. That's what I did. I was a soccer guy and soccer kind of nerd. Um, and I just, I, I literally just wanted to cover the team and I offered to, to do it and then do it more. And it was hard at first, you know, but um, I think there's, there's a lot of really passionate TFC fans and, and, you know, uh, fans that kind of crave, you know, more and more coverage of the team. Um, so I just wanted to do both. I, I wanted to just work year round. And I was really fortunate that they kind of were on board for that, too. Uh, and I guess that's what led to, you know, the book, Come On You Reds, which kind of told mostly tells the story of their 2017 season where they win, 
you know, MLS Cup for the first time, but it's also a look at how that kind of franchise carves out its niche in Toronto. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I mean, again, it's it's just about being, when it comes to freelancing or writing, it's just about being relentless with your work and your hustle. And um, and so that's why I kind of was able to do, I guess, TFC in the summer and the Leafs, you know, the other nine months of the year. Good stuff. And now moving on to more of the sports side. Um, a few days ago, Galchenyuk from Ottawa to the Leafs. Um, what's your take on that trade? Like who's in, who's out and what you've seen with the, both teams? How does it benefit uh, both sides? I mean, just in terms of the Leafs, I think it's probably too early. I think he's going to spend a lot of time with the Leafs development staff just to kind of for them to figure out what they have as a player. I mean, they gave up two players, right, uh, to, to get um, Galchenyuk. And that's important, right? Having that kind of contract flexibility, um, you know, you want to be under the, the, the maximum of 50 NHL contracts um, as you get closer to the deadline. Um, so that's something that I think is, is an important part of this deal is them giving up two NHL contracts for one that allows them to maybe look towards the trade deadline and say, okay, like depending on Wayne Simmons injury, uh, do we need to add more depth, uh, in the top nine, uh, depending on how Nick Robertson does with the Marlies, do we need to add, you know, because of him, it just, that kind of flexibility, I think is something that, that Kyle Dubas has long coveted. So, but in terms of Galchenyuk, I, I I don't know if we should assume he's going to like jump into that fourth line role. I mean, the more and more games that the Leafs play, the more their lineup starts to look a little bit more concrete. And I'm talking about, you know, players like Travis Boyd, who I think early in the season, we probably wouldn't have pegged as, you know, a guy that would be a go-to on that fourth line. I think we knew early on, it would be kind of a, a carousel of players, um, but Travis Boyd, to me, has been one of the real pleasant surprises of the season. Um, and so he's in there. Jason Spezza's role is kind of solidified. Pierre Engvall now, you know, now that he's passed, passed the, the, this 58-game um, threshold, he has to clear waivers if he's going to be sent down. So I don't know if you're going to do that. He's a really good player, and, and I suspect he probably would would not pass through waivers. Um you know, the only player that's really on the, I guess we could say, fringe with his play is Jimmy Vesey. Um, but, you know, he could turn things around really quickly, too. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if Alex Galchenyuk's role is a guarantee, right? I, I think right now the Leafs are going to probably get him a lot of work with their development staff, figure out what they have in the player, figure out how they can use him. I mean, we know his pedigree, right? He's a third overall pick. So there's obviously some talent there. It's just kind of about rediscovering who the player was in 16, 17 with the Canadians and trying to get, you know, I guess, again, a cliche, but the best version of Alex Galchenyuk and figuring out what that best version is. So I don't think we're going to see him for the Leafs, you know, anytime really soon. But I guess if you're Kyle Dubas, it's good to have options. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And speaking more on Galchenyuk, do you think there's any revitalizing what he once was back with the Canadians? Because it's obvious he's been on a steady decline since, you know, moving from team to team. That obviously has an effect on a player. But do you think there's any piece that's still in him that could bring that type of player back? Uh, 
if you look at his underlying numbers, he's certainly declined as a player, but I will say that like, if there's any kind of development staff that is probably capable of, of, you know, helping a player return to form, uh, it's the least staff. They've invested a lot of time and resources into their development staff. They believe in, in, you know, the work they do to kind of bring players, uh, you know, I guess we could say back or find some diamonds in the rough. And you look at some of the players that they've found in, in, in junior to, to kind of do that. So I, I think they have a lot of faith in their development model. Um, speaking of the development model, do you see a guy like Justin Hall as like the poster boy for that, for poster child, um, for like the leaf, the leaf success with their development staff coming from the, like playing in the ECHL and coming in now playing on the top four and um, having a great season this year. This year. Yeah, he's definitely uh, one of them. Um, he's he's progressed really, really well. I think a lot of people are just pleasantly surprised with with how you know quickly he's adapted to playing more minutes. Just being given those minutes, being given that opportunity, is something that I think um, you know Justin Hall always wanted. But yeah, like it's a testament. I think it's a testament to the player because the player always believed in his abilities. Um, and, you know, when you're moving from the ECHL to the AHL and then not getting minutes, that can crush a lot of players. Justin Hall stayed positive. So credit to the Leafs for kind of finding and, and working with the player, but credit to the player as well for for staying positive throughout, you know, everything that that happened throughout his career. Exactly. And getting, getting back to the Gouch trade, um, you mentioned how it was a two for one, like two contract for one contract swap. Toronto sending David Warsawski and um, Igor Korshkov to Carolina for Galchenyuk. The fact that they're like that they're the fact that they are shedding contracts so they can get clo- uh, further away from that fifty contract limit. Do you see it as a precursor for a potential trade? Because I've been reading rumors of like I think I want to say it was Friedman that said um, they checked in that Toronto checked in on a guy like Mar- Mar- um, not Marcus Michael Granlund in Nashville. Yeah, I, I don't see why the Leafs wouldn't make a deal because they they believe that, you know, now with the team they have, their window to win is wide open. And um, in, look, injuries are going to happen, right? Thornton's been injured. Simmons has been injured. Nick Robertson's been injured. So I, I think they assume that, that injuries are going to play a factor in this season. So solidifying your depth is going to be really, really important for this team. So, yeah, I, I really do see this as, you know, a precursor to a move, maybe not imminently, but but definitely at some point before the deadline. Um, two things I want to get to. Speaking of Thor, you mentioned Joe Thornton. He comes back uh, and he's, uh, he's playing last night. My God, that's one, like, he looked like he was 10 years younger in that game. Like, he was all over the place. Yeah, and, and you know what? This is the player that they knew – they could kind of get because they knew that if they put Joe Thornton with really, really talented players who could find dangerous areas of the ice, that would make Joe Thornton even more potent, right? Because that's the player that Joe Thornton has always been one that just says, you go to the dangerous areas, I'll find you. And that's, you know, that's Austin Matthews. He's so strong um, with his stick. He, you know, he's made a name for himself as being able to kind of live in the slot and his release is probably as good, if not better, than any NHL player. So, you know, when you look at those two, um, you, the, the the Joe Thornton you're seeing is, you know, again, it's a credit to Joe and his years of experience. But it's also, you know, it's it's 
it's a credit to the synergy that, that, that he can build with players uh, because of that experience, because he knows how to read the game so well. So yeah, Joe Thornton has really looked strong since coming back from injury. And mentioning a guy like Joe Thornton, a veteran presence, um, there's one thing I wanted to get into, I to get, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. This is a little bit of an older um, quote, but it came from, I want to say Steve Simmons, say, uh, when they signed Joe Thornton about how that was a shot at like a guy like Tavares' leadership uh, capabilities. Do you put any, like, any, not credibility, like, do you put any, like, thought into that, and into that, like, I, uh, idea that uh, there's leadership issues within that team? No, not at all. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think like leadership is just this weird kind of intangible quality that, that people think you have to have just, you know, one leader or, or like, you know, people lead in different ways, you know, people, and, and, and that said, like, there's never a, it's never a bad thing to have multiple leaders. Like I don't remember hearing, you know, any, any concerns about this when Jake Muzzin was brought in, Jake Muzzin is a Stanley cup champion. You know, I, I just think having more, you know, veterans around and more voices and more, you know, people with experience is really never a bad thing. You know, bringing more characters into the room is never a bad thing. So I don't interpret it as a, as a question of John Tavares whatsoever, but, but, you know, people are entitled to their opinions and, and I respect, you know, people, for putting, you know, different opinions out there. So there's something I did want to touch on. We looked at some of the Leafs players as uh, singles, but I want to look at the Leafs as a whole team. What do you think that the Leafs need, what they have to adjust to make a bigger playoff push than we've seen in the years past? Well, I mean, they have to continue their adherence to their defensive structure, right? And that's one thing that they've looked really, really better with this season. It is that defensive structure. Um, you know, they've just done a really good job with kind of um, clogging up the neutral zone and, and TJ Brody is a huge reason for that. Um, so, I, yeah, I think if they continue that play, and but you also have to balance that with that kind of high flying offensive approach that, um, that, that, you know, they've that's made them so dangerous this season. So I think if the Leafs are going to have success this season, it's going to be about that balance. How can we maintain a defensive structure? How can we keep things tight in the neutral zone? How can we make sure that teams kind of don't run rampant on us and we don't give up odd man rushes, but then how do we make sure that when we are in the offensive zone, we play with that kind of freedom and creativity because we have some of the most creative offensive players in the division right now. Right. I mean, you could make the argument that they have some of the most creative players in the league. Sure. So Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alex. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Um, so, yeah, no, there's one last thing I want to get into because we know, I, I know that you don't have all the time in the world. Um, we know Toronto has one of the, like, one of, if not the best team that they've had in recent memory. With the Seattle expansion coming up this offseason, do you see this year as Toronto's, like, biggest chance to go for it? Like, their, their biggest, like, when their window would be the, the, most wide open as, as like this, this off season, they may end up losing a player. Like, like, like they may, may end up losing a player off of their top, off of their like top nine, off of their top four D. Yeah. I, and I think the, the circumstances really line up in the Leafs favor. Their division is not very strong. Um, you know, you, you, 
I, I know it's a concern for them, you know, maybe, maybe Travis Dermott, maybe Justin Hall. But I think when you talk about this being the year, they look at the fact that they, you know, might not face a, a you know, a Boston or a Tampa Bay until, you know, the third round as opposed to the first round. And, and you think, how do we really develop strong habits in the regular season? How do we build up some momentum through those first two rounds so that we're playing our best hockey, you know, in and around that, that 80 game range, right. With the shortened season. So, yeah, I, I do think, you know, anytime you have a player like Austin Matthews in his prime, your window is, is wide open because you can make the case that he's, you know, one of the two or three best players on the planet right now. Um, and when I, you have a player playing that like that, yeah, you have to consider your window to win as, as open. And um, one more thing on on Seattle at this current moment, just off your opinion, uh, who do you think that would be like most Seattle, the biggest bait for Seattle? Like, who do you think has the best chance of being taken in the expansion draft? Well, I mean, with the expansion draft, we've seen these things kind of change, and and uh, in you know deals get made. I think it's still a bit early to tell. Travis Dermott's name gets thrown around, and and I think Travis Dermott. You know, again, if given the opportunity, could be a top four defenseman. And that's that's got to be really enticing, you know, if you're Seattle to be able to pick up a top four D-man in the the expansion draft. I don't know if that's going to be the player that that gets exposed. I, I, I really don't. Uh, I think it's still way too early to tell because I think the Leafs roster could look different. Um but he's a name I, I would guess that you'd probably want to keep an eye on right now, just given the emergence of Justin Hall as a bona fide top four defenseman. Well put, well put. Uh, well, boys, unless there's anything you guys want to get into, I think uh, we should cut it off here. Yeah, yeah. All right, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Take care. All right, take, take care. Have a yeah. good one. We hope you guys enjoyed the interview. It was great talking to Josh and great going, uh, just talking about uh, our beloved Leafs for uh, for a little bit. By the way, Alex, did you see um, what happened today with uh, with Lake Tahoe? Like the with uh, the game being delayed mid mid game. I guess it was at the end of the first. They delayed end of the first. it. Yeah. yeah, end of the first. They delayed it. Now uh, they delayed it by like four hours because of um, because of the sun uh, like melting, melting the ice, the ice basically. Yeah. It was, I, I saw it. Uh, I was, uh, I was quite shocked. You know, I was really excited for the game all week. I was kind of, um, looking forward to the games to see how it played out, especially not having a winter classic. Um, and then I was scrolling through Instagram and I was seeing all, uh, someone put together a bunch of clips of players falling and, uh, getting caught in ruts in the ice and, uh, turned out they postponed the game. It was quite, quite, uh, different or i'd say uh, we haven't really seen that with outdoor games recently yeah like something you never see like you don't see often because also granted they don't often um do games in nevada in uh, nevada because isn't yeah. it yeah if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah. lake tahoe is like right by yeah. vegas which is yeah. obviously why they had vegas playing yeah um which honestly by the way did you see that backdrop that is on a thing of beauty i mean uh, if we start talking about it, we'll be here all night. It, to say the least, it, it was one of the nicest things I've seen in a while in terms of outdoor rinks. Honestly. Um, but yeah, so now they delayed it from, I think it was a 7 o'clock Eastern start 
four o'clock Pacific, and they delayed it. No, it wasn't actually. It, it was really. It was noon. No, they started at noon because they wanted to get the uh, the light in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mistake. Uh, this. So then they ended up delaying it to midnight, midnight Eastern, nine PM Pacific, which that must be like think of the think of the toll on the players. Like you're in the you get hyped all hyped up for a game. You play one period, shit conditions, only yeah. for the game to be uh, postponed for hours later, like a half a day later, basically. And then you have to go and get get all hyped up for it again, having to go through your pre, basically do your pregame routine twice. Yeah, all over again. It should be interesting to see how um, how the players react because it's not every day that you play one period and then you have to wait another um, five five hours or actually no longer than that. Oh seven hours. Seven, seven hours. hours. Sorry, my math. Um, another seven hours to play the rest of your game. It, it should be interesting to see how the, these two teams come together here and uh, try to pick up another two points. Yeah, I don't know. I'm actually, as we speak right now, I'm actually throwing on the game because I'm kind of curious how it's looking because it's going to start within the next couple minutes. Hmm. Uh, I honestly, I'm expecting this to be some choppy hockey now, like even more so than even more so than when the ice was as bad as it was. Because like, again, like I, I was also watching the like I also saw like the Instagram videos, the highlights, and whatever. And like, I don't know. Did you notice? Did you see the thing with the ref even going and? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. kind. It was kind of like, like it was bad. Like these guys, especially the refs. Like these guys could have gotten hurt. Like they had to stop it. Mm-hmm. Like also, like, yeah, I know. This is also the first time that they're doing it in in an area like that, like on Lake Tahoe, on like like a lake like Lake Tahoe. They wanted to. The NHL mentioned they want to do Lake Louise. Like that was their original intention. Yeah. And. Yeah. Like, my thinking was the success of this event will dictate if they do another event like this in the future at Lake Louise or at, like, say, Muskoka in up in Ontario or up on, like, up on Lake Ontario, something like that. Do you think that mm-hmm. this will shift their focus more towards doing, like, sticking with the status quo and doing, like, a, um, like, in, like, football arenas or baseball diamonds or whatever? Yeah, uh, person. I think it was just a little more of a um, a substitute, just because we weren't able to have a Winter Classic on uh, New Year's Day, um, the Heritage Classic that was also scrapped because of uh, the new rules set in place. So I think this was a little more of a uh, a temporary thing. They're just going to do it for this year to kind of give the fans um, an outdoor game. Uh, like you said, I think it will dictate whether or not they do it. Uh, they do more outdoor games on more of like a lake area rather than being in a football stadium or a baseball uh, field. So I, I do, as of right now, I don't think they're going to have it again next year. I think they're just going to stick to what they do best with the winter classic on new year's and then the heritage classic following that. But um, I would like to see a little more, uh, Diversity, I guess you could say, with different backdrops rather than a uh, hundred thousand fans being in a stadium, as weird as it does sound. Yeah, so yeah, I completely agree. Like, I know I went, I was at the, I wasn't, at, I wasn't at the like full the actual game, but I went to the Centennial Classic alumni game at BMO oh. Field in Toronto back in 2016, mm-hmm. and it was a great vibe. I'm not gonna lie, like it was great going like out being outdoors freezing cold new year's eve what trying to watch a game yeah. um granted granted it was an alumni game so the hockey wasn't the best at first but it actually turned out like towards the end it got really chippy yeah <laughs> um 
I mean, yeah, when you got the, when you got Detroit and and Toronto uh, with guys it's like Wendell, with guys like Wendell Clark coming back and Brendan Shanahan going yeah. on, like it's bound to happen, right? Oh yeah, it was beautiful. I forgot who it was. I think it was was it Gary was it Gary Roberts and Joey Kosher? Oh, it, five I want to see something like that. I don't know. I don't remember. 100%. I don't remember either. But like personally, as a fan, like I would love to see another event like like what they're doing right now, which. Also, one thing that's gonna put a bit of a, a dent in uh, in their result in their like resolves and intentions to re- do a game like this again is the fact that you can't find it anywhere on TV. Because mm-hmm. now that it's now that it's like they had to delay the game, that messed up the entire um, schedule for yeah. yeah. So now like I'm I it's it was shown on Sportsnet. But in in Canada, but now I'm looking around like I can't find it. Now it's only the Calgary Edmonton game and uh, World Poker. Because so, everyone wants to watch poker, right? Yeah, because everyone wants to watch poker and not uh, go watch a game with uh, with two t- two hockey teams playing outside on a pond for the first time yeah. in in decades. Mm-hmm. Actually, genuinely, I think that's the first time. Yeah, that is the first time they have ever done it on an actual pond for an actual game. Like I know I've seen like little charity things with some NHL players out on a pond. Yeah. Whatever, but uh. but a full NHL uh a full NHL game. Yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Yeah. I don't know, it's going to be interesting. I do hope uh that they bring that back. Okay, so moving on to more of a happier note. Sidney Crosby played his 1000th NHL game today. Um and I don't know if you saw uh in the pregame or saw it on social media. Um so Sidney Crosby, he's a creature of habit. Like if if, if you've seen the um, the twenty four seven, the old twenty four seven episode from uh, the Detroit Pittsburgh Winter Classic, I think it was. Or no, uh, it was, yeah. was it Detroit Pittsburgh or was it Pittsburgh Philly? Uh, Pittsburgh Philly. Pittsburgh yeah. Philly. Yeah, Pittsburgh Philly. Um, when they had him go, like when they went, they had a little segment about Crosby and all of his. Uh, rituals and he was taught going like minute for minute from the time he gets to the rink to the time the puck drops which is like when i was watching that like it was just it was just complete like a complete mind fuck like you couldn't (laughs) i couldn't believe like a guy like this like a, a guy who's this good has this many like little rituals like only having certain brands of peanut butter going from certain times to play soccer to play soccer with the guys going in like on the bike for a certain amount of time uh in in a certain like in certain clothing only wearing a certain jocks only certain hat so it was really interesting seeing that and then today for his thousandth game aside from the rolex that uh every every player gets from their teammates and with a team with the teammates having to fork over the bill um during the warm-ups they had all the uh all of his teammates went and followed him doing his exact warm-up routine every second that he was doing it, even him tying his skates. He was tying, retying his skates on the ice during warm-up and then the team stopped and then they started retying their skates. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, when you, when you see it, when you, when you're Sidney Crosby and you know, you see what you've been doing over the last 15, 14 years now that he's been playing in the NHL, when it when everything's been working, there's no need to change something if it isn't broken. Um, I thought what they did was was really cool. You know, everybody's out in a Crosby jersey, um, like you said, doing all the pregame uh, rituals on the ice. It's a 
it's a good a good little gesture by the uh, Penguins to for arguably one of the greatest players that's ever played in the franchise. Um, aside from just the ritual, I want to ask you: Do you think Crosby is a top five player all time? Yes. Yes, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Who do you? Now let me ask you this: Who's your top five? Not you don't you don't have to give an order because that's leads to so many. It's so many arguments. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Top five players. I think I'd have to go Wayne Gretzky, um, Sidney Crosby, Gordy Howe, Bobby Orr, Connor McDavid. You would put McDavid top five as of right now. As one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I uh, hear me out. I understand. I understand he hasn't been in the league um, like Crosby has been for 15 years or he hasn't played as many years as everybody else has. But the way he dominates a game, the impact he has when he is on the ice, it is unlike we have ever seen. You can compare it to um, Brady or Patrick Mahomes being on out on a field. It's the same sort of thing. He dictates the play. And it just looks like his teammates feed off of his energy. And I can't remember um, a player that changes a game or dominates a game in the NHL like Connor McDavid has. Uh, your opinion may be a little bit different than mine, but that, that's the stance I'm looking at it from. I completely get – actually, you know what? I do get what you're trying to say. And I got to ask, um, you didn't mention a guy like Mario Lemieux what spot mm-hmm. like who takes that top who takes that number five spot over Lemieux? Take the number five. Oh, that's tough. Cause no. I'm, I'm assuming you have Mario six or seven. Yeah, it, don't worry, he's not that far down. I would he I was debating um him and McDavid just because like I said, you know, McDavid's only been in the year uh, in the NHL for five years, but uh, Mary Lemieux is definitely number six. Um, but like I said, the way uh, McDavid dominates the game at such a young age, it's just fascinating to watch. It's just fascinating. Yeah, you make a good point. Um, yeah, personally with myself, my, with my top five, I look at guys like Gratz, Gordy, Bobby Orr, um, Gratz, Gordy, Bobby Orr, Crosby, and – at this moment in time, this will probably change in the next year. Mm-hmm. I, I put a guy like Lemieux ahead of Connor. No, yeah, I can see because, it. Because, like, granted, granted, he, I, I obviously, like, I see the way that McDavid plays, and that guy has world changing ability, like, world breaking ability. Yeah. But he's, I don't know, like, I, I do put some emphasis on success and, he hasn't been able to get to be successful with the Oilers as a team. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, it, it all, there also is the part of the supporting cast. And um, aside from Leon Dreisaitl, the Oilers haven't been able to, um, to help him out there with getting other players where they can help uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl get to a championship. Um if and this is a big big if McDavid does ask for a trade out of Edmonton, I do think any other team that does get him will instantly be cup contenders. Or if the um, Edmonton Oilers 
do find or get their shit together and do pick up uh, players that can help them win, then most definitely they they will have championships in the near future. Yeah, and uh, this that's also one reason why like the uh, like the supporting cast like that's well, that's one reason why I have them outside my top five as of right now. Because if you look at it, Lemieux, guys like Lemieux, Gretz, Bobby Orr, Gordie Howe, Crosby, what have you. They have a way of making those around them better. Like mm-hmm. you see, guy, you see a guy like Crosby, who like he turned Chris Kunitz into a into a first line forward who yeah. was playing for Team Canada at the yeah. Oli- at the Olympics at like 34, 35. Yeah. So like I don't see McDavid. Like this isn't a shot against McDavid, complete like in, in his ability because he's one of the most talented players I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hasn't found that ability. He hasn't found like that stride where he can just go and make, make those around him better. Other than a guy like he's a perfect compliment, complimentary piece to a guy like dry or like you put the right guys around him. He, they will all succeed. Like, yeah. but like, I think the true mark of a top five all time player is that they make everybody top to bottom better around them. Yeah. And, this could just be the players that he's playing with. Like they could, like I'm, but I just don't see it. Like, I don't see it, especially. And that also has to relate to their success. Like guy, you have guys like Crosby who turned a team like Pittsburgh, who didn't have the strongest team uh, in the year, like in his first couple years, he turned them into play into a playoff team. He turned them into a team that can go and do some damage going back to back sign up finals which they yeah. did, like, I've, I remember those teams. I don't, I don't, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly who was there, but it, he was able to make pe- everybody around him better from the top of the line to the bottom to the, be- to the healthy scratches to the black aces. Like, guys like that, they have the ability to change, a ga- change the, out- the outcome of a game yeah. while improving those around them. Yeah, I don't know, you can I, call me you can call me crazy, but that's just my my uh two cents on the situation. No, I, I see where you're coming from. I think uh, obviously time will tell whether or not um McDavid can help the players around him and become a championship team. Um but I think that it's a, li- a little too early, a little too early to comment on that. Uh hopefully the Oilers do get their shit together and uh, they don't waste more of his years. And you you alluded to this earlier, you say, saying it's a big if, but do you think that do you think that if they do not continue, uh, sorry, if if the Oilers continue at the trajectory trajectory that they're at, missing the playoffs or like getting knocked out in the first round, do you think that McDavid asks for a trade? If so, how long until he does that? <sighs> Let's put it this way: over the last few years, we've seen McDavid isn't the. Um, the guy with the big mouth. I do remember reading a quote from McDavid. He said, uh, you know, I'm not the big raw, raw, raw guy kind of captain. When he when he first got his captaincy, you know, he lets his play dictate everything. I do think it'll be a situation, um, maybe a two, three years down the road, where it's um you remember you remember that Mark Andre Fleury little uh segment that he had with his agent when Robin Leonard came in and he kind of alluded to hopefully having a trade out of Vegas and how he did him dirty. 
the stabbed in the back picture? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I think that it'll come from McDavid's agent who wants to see him flourish. Um, I do think McDavid, though, him, I don't think he will come out and say, yeah, you know, I want out of Edmonton just because of the the, um, the history that the Oilers have had. And he does, he wouldn't want to be looked at as one of the guys that, you know, couldn't get it done uh, in that city. Yeah, you know, yeah, you make a really good point. Like, granted, I don't know the guy. I don't know Connor personally. Obviously, he grew up. He grew up like twenty minutes away from me, but in Newmarket. But um, he seems like a guy that legacy is a big deal to him, and like he would want to see. He seems like the kind of guy that that would go down with the ship. But at the same time, like he's not an idiot, and he won't. He wouldn't give up like a chance at a Stanley cup to go and be on a bottom feeder team for his entire career and waste, yeah, yeah. waste away his career on a bottom feeder team where he can be going out winning Stanley cups or, yeah. yeah. I don't know. At sooner or later, he's going to have to pull the plug on the Edmonton Oilers era. Um, if they don't get their shit, to, but I still do think if a trade were to happen two, three years down the road. Yeah, exactly. Well said, well said. And now moving on, um, in the Saturday night headlines, Elliot Friedman mentioned that um, the Nashville Predators, they, they've been doing poorly in the season. Um, I don't remember exactly what position they're at, but they're in like they're in one of the bottom spots in the division. Uh, I can quickly look into the exact standings. But yeah, they're seventh place in the Central Division with 14 points. They're about eight points back or seven points back of a playoff spot. And uh, Elliot Freeman mentioned that everybody on that team is up for sale aside from three players, Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, and Pekka Rene. Those are the only players who are untouchable to that team. Everybody else making up, basically saying make an offer. We'll, we'll think we'll consider everything, which is kind of like interesting considering like they got some prospects. Like I think it was Dante Fabro, if I'm not mistaken, who mm-hmm. um, in Nashville, like guys like that, who they are up, like basically saying like they're not like they will consider offers for them, which personally I I get it. Like they're not having they're not having any success, and you have a guy like Pecorini who, or no, sorry, like a guy like a guy like Pecorini, even though he's not who he used to be, he's a lifelong predator. He's gonna finish his career in Nashville, and they want to leave it there. Yeah. yeah. Ellis and Yossi, obviously, uh, Yossi, the captain, like they don't, they're not going to get rid of him. And Ellis is their what, top two defenseman. Like they're, it's, they're, they're two stud defensemen they're going to keep, which is the, like, it makes the most sense why the, it makes sense why those are the three untouchables. A guy like Philip Forsberg is really interesting. Like why they didn't, why they, uh, they didn't label him as untouchable. He's their top, been their top scorer for a while now. He's a great, he's a gifted, uh, gifted player, will able to put up points year after year, but, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious what you what you have to say in the situation, and who do you think is most likely to be dealt from that team? You know, when I first saw the report, I did wonder why Forsberg was left off of that list of untouchables. Just because, as you said, he's gifted offensively. We've seen some of the um, or some of the skill he does have. Um, personally, I think he would have to be traded to unlock his full potential. Um, aside from that, I do think 
uh, the player most likely to be moved would be Matt Duchesne or Victor Arvidsson, while they can still get a little bit of value. Um, ever since uh, leaving the Colorado Avalanche, Matt Duchesne's career has been on a slow, slow decline. And I, I do think he needs a uh, change of scenery once again to kickstart his career again. Um, he does still have a lot to give. He can most definitely help a team out, but I don't think he's thriving in an atmosphere like Nashville. I think he has to get to a city where um, he they care a little more about hockey and he can be surrounded with better players. At one time, he was a top three uh, forward, and now I think he's a top six. You can make the argument of being a top nine, um, but you just have to get him with supporting players that can help him out and give him a little more confidence to make some bigger plays and help a team offensively. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, personally, I would not say Matt Duchesne is the most likely to be dealt because of his contract. Not 100% sure on how much he's making, but mm-hmm. if I had to guess, if I had to guess, it was around $8 bucks. I'll get you the number right here. Um, eight, yes, $8 million. Seven years old. Fifty-six million, eight years. Yeah, or sorry, eight million, eight million, eight million on the dot. Yeah, yeah. So eight million bucks for a guy who hasn't been putting up the most points and has been on the decline ever since leaving Detroit. Or Detroit, uh, ever since leaving Colorado. Like I, I, I don't see anybody, anybody going for that. Mm-hmm. Granted, now he's at he's on a forty in an eighty-two game season right now. He's on a forty-two point pace. Um, sixteen game right now. He's sixteen games, three goals, five assists for eight points. In averaging 17 minutes, 17 ish minutes a night. Um, I don't like anybody who would trade for that unless Nashville's willing to retain 50% of that contract is like is completely stupid. Because mm-hmm. like and I doubt Nashville's willing to retain that much money. Cause how how long does he have left in his deal? He signed it in 2019, that contract. One, two. Yeah, he's got five, yeah, he's got five years remaining after this at eight yeah. million bucks per year. That is an awful contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is absolutely horrendous. Um, personally, I do see a guy like Mike, like Michael Granlin being dealt because he's on a one year he's on a one year deal. He signed uh, he signed for one year, I think three million bucks, and like his name's been bounced around to rumors all over like for the past couple weeks now with a team like we mentioned with uh, in the cloak interview with uh, a team like Toronto emerging as a potential suitor, like he still got what it takes. He's not signed on a terrible deal for a guy who could play in the third, in the third line, like bottom six. Like if you can get it, if you can get Nashville to go and retain some money on that, which is a lot easier to like, that's a lot more of a easier sell to retain like a million and a half remaining prorated on a one-year deal. Yeah. Um, as opposed to f- retaining another four or five years at eight million bucks per year. Um, personally, I do think that he would end, he's going to end up going to Toronto because they they could use the bottom six help. Kerfoot has not been working out not this year as well as he has in the past, like as in, as well as he has last year. Yeah, but you could put maybe you could put that as like he's having a bit of a down year as a he's having a down year with COVID, uh, like maybe some stress with COVID, which I do know it's like it's affecting players. 
in different ways, like psychologically, and obviously those who caught the virus physically. Um, actually, speaking of which, did you see the report that came out from uh, Ristolainen? Yeah, Ristolainen. Yeah, yeah. Not good news for my fantasy team. <laughs> um, yeah, basically saying that he was in a world of pain. He was in so much pain. He didn't go every night. He didn't know if he was going to wake up the next day. That's how awful he oh, felt. Yeah. Which that's a horrible way to live. Like that just shows, yeah. like, like we we're regard that shows regardless of age, it could the virus could still affect you. Yeah, like in different ways. Like how old he's like? What twenty seven? He, he's he's not he's not an older player. Yeah, he's in his later twenties. Like the fact that something like that happened, like he was, when he was feeling that bad, may like I don't know, like. For those who are listening, just wear a mask. Keep your distance. Just don't, just don't be stupid. Because we like this is a pre- a perfect example of something. Somebody who's just being like who got the virus and he's um like he 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 dealt with he felt he dealt with the consequences. He felt the pain of it. Okay, but getting back on topic, yeah. like I do see I do see him going. To Toronto, uh, granted, going to Toronto at a fifty percent um, ret- salary retention, and mm-hmm. I do see him going for guy. I, I could see him going for a pick at the deadline, or I can see him as a part of a bigger trade. Which, not like just looking at it, like I don't even though like looking at Nashville's team, I don't see anybody who can fit a Toronto. Like maybe a guy like Nick Cousins can come in as more of like a bigger body. Yeah. I don't know, I'm trying to think right now. Johansson, I mean, look at Johansson. He's made no chance. He's no, he's having no. a ter- he's not he's a a shell of what he used to be, and he hasn't it's, been. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a guy like Brad or like a guy like Brad Richardson or uh, to shore up that uh, depth on the bottom six. Mm-hmm. Going for a guy, uh, if you want to make it a bit of a bigger <laughs> deal for a guy like say Kerfoot. Yeah, but I don't know. It'd yeah, be- I, I'm just gonna challenge you on the Michael Grellin only for the fact that. He is playing center. I understand you brought up the Kerfoot and then how it could they could swap centers. Um, but I don't think the Leafs are lacking center depth, though. Is we, we've seen everybody around the NHL has seen how dominant um, Austin Matthews has been early into the season. And um, if anything, I think they would look for a winger, unless that would be in their plans and Granlin would be up for it where he would get moved to the to a wing. But I, I just can't see them going out for another center. Um, it just it doesn't really make sense, especially at where they're at and the way um, Austin Matthews has been playing. Yeah, I get what you're I get what you're saying, but like you have to look at it this way. You always need to, you always need to have contingency options. What if Austin were to go that were to go down for a month? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And like also, um, Granlin is a guy who's capable of playing the wing and center. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I know Score Mobile has him listed as a right winger. Obviously, he's a centerman, but he um, he's capable of playing like both both positions or all three positions. Um, like I see him as coming in as a guy. Like, because think about it. Like, if a guy like Austin gets injured, or even if a guy like if anybody gets injured, you want to have a a serviceable. Um, replacement for them, yeah. Which is why they, which is why they went in and brought in a guy like uh, Galchenyuk just to have that uh, that repl- uh, 
possible replacement if somebody were to go down with an injury. So I do see that as another uh, as an option. Um, I'm trying to think like how's how was um, been defensively this year? He's minus three. He's minus three, averaging 20 minutes on uh, of ice a game. Minus three on a team like Nashville, who's been absolutely horrendous this year. Yeah, like it's not as you would have thought it'd been worse. Exactly. Hmm. You you expect it to be worse. Like that's the same argument that people were making about Jimmy VC last year. He had the worst statistical season of his career, but uh, he was playing on Buffalo, and everybody was all, was awful that year. And everybody outside of Eichel was had terrible seasons point wise. Yeah, and he was playing a lot of minutes on that team too. He was over, averaging around 21 minutes per game. And on a terrible team like Buffalo, it's bound to happen. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know. Um, so yeah, like, do you still believe that a guy like, like Duchesne's going to be the one traded this year, if anyone? No, they're, they're, the team is going to have to take a risk on it and – the, I think inevitably the Predators are um, are going to have to retain a certain amount of salary. How much? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speculate on that. It's all up to the general managers. Um, but I do think Matt Duchesne is or will most likely be the first one dealt. Okay, so a little side note: we are dogging on the uh, the Oilers for a little bit. They're currently leading Calgary seven to one. Jeez. My God. Yeah, seven to one. But they're also like I'm looking. I just turned the game on right now. Um, Calgary's got Calgary's beating them in shots, forty to one. They're forty to twenty three. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that right now too. My God, how <laughs> bad of a game is Mark Schumer or Riddick having? It's they started off with Mark Schum and then they put in Riddick. I mean, I just the str- the struggles going on there in, in Calgary this season. I can't say I saw them coming, but uh, I think sooner or later, uh, something's going to have to change on that team. I, uh, just kind of a side note on that. Uh, I do think uh, Johnny Goudreau, uh, I think he's played his last season with the Calgary Flames. You think so? I think so. I just, they're, they're going to try to get as much value as they can out of him. I can see if you want to, try to rebuild your team around him, but I think they're going to move on to their future with Matthew Kachuk and they're just going to do their best to build around him. I I have to disagree because like, think about it. They're in Calgary's in a win now mode. Like they, they built this team to try and go and make a run at it. Like, let me just take a look. Um, at, at Calgary's like at uh, Goudreau's stats as of right now, he's currently he's currently leading the team in points. He has 17 points in 17 games, 82 game 82 game pace or 82 point pace in a mm-hmm. full season. Um, I don't think they would end up trading him. I get what you're trying to say with trade him while his value is high. Yeah, but like think of it, they signed Markstrom for I think it was six years by five or five by six or something like, something around those lines. They made all these all these acquisitions in the offseason. I don't think they're going to be going in for a rebuild since they they invested this much because they they can't go in for a rebuild because they like you can't go in for a rebuild when you have all these guys signed long term. No, yeah, I, I can see it, it is a little bit of a hot take, but we did hear um the rumors a little bit last year of uh whether or not it could be 
Goudreau's final season in the Flames. Um, but the, the, you can have a, uh, a pretty good argument on this one. But uh, we'll leave that for another episode. Yeah, we'll leave that for uh, for next week when uh, when knowing our luck, uh, he's gonna get tra- he's gonna get traded right after we finish recording this episode. I didn't tell you, I told you so. <laughs> All right, finally, um, Mike Babcock after uh, starting off the season with it was NBC, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he signed on to be the head coach of the University of Saskatchewan, or University of Saskatchewan. Or was it uh, Saskatoon? Saskatoon. No, it was the, yeah, University of Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, University Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Yeah. yeah, sorry, University of Saskatchewan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My uh, my little my notes uh, weren't uh, weren't doing me so, uh, so many favors. Yeah, signed on to be the University of Saskatchewan head coach. Saskatoon native, na- um, yeah, Saskatoon native, yes. comes on on a volunteer basis while still being paid by Toronto. I think it was six point two five million for the next two years. Um, he's a he's a volunteer he's a volunteer coach. He's going back home. I I'm curious what led to him leaving NBC. I'm curious like what like if something happened. Like I would I would love to talk to Bob's just mm-hmm. just the, just because of like he seems like a guy I'd love to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be a great interview. Um, but I'm cu- I'm honestly curious what led to the like what led to this course of action because hey. like, you, you don't see it often that a coach gets fired from an NHL team and then goes to coach in um in in U sports like especially a head coach like assistant coach you see it a few times like or once every now and then yeah like a coach with that much notoriety like Babs who was the coach of Team Canada, who was actually up and up as of like last week, I think he was still rumored to be in the running for that head coaching job. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything that pushed him out of NBC as much as it him wanting to coach again. Um, he, I think it was unlikely that he would have gone an NHL um, head coaching job after what's gone on with the Maple Leafs and the uh, the Red Wings uh, years ago. I think he just trying to establish himself once again to kind of uh, let everybody know that, hey, you know, um, what went on was didn't have much to do with hockey. Uh, it was more of my character and how I did things. Uh, he's just trying to prove, I think, that he he's still able to lead a team behind the bench. And don't be surprised if if they have success. I think we can see a few years from now Babcock behind an NHL bench once again. Um, yeah, you mentioned that you don't think that he would have been able to get an NHL position. I have to disagree because, like, based on his pedigree and his his resume, I think he could have gotten a position. I'm not 100% sure that he would have wanted it because like, yeah. I feel like he needed that break from coaching in the NHL. He's still getting paid six million over six mil from Toronto, and I, I'd have to assume that in that contract, in that contract, you see often not like more often than not, uh, and especially with a team like Toronto that knows what they're doing, um, that if you, I bet you there was a clause in that deal that said if he he got fired midway through that contract and he went to sign with another team at, before that contract would have expired, that uh, all, all the money that he was owed would have been gone. Yeah, that I think that you're very, 
very right on that one, actually. That I think he's just trying to soak up his $6 million while he's doing as little as possible, not being behind an NHL bench. But he, I'm, I'm almost certain he wants another crack at the NHL. Oh, yeah, I don't disagree getting, with you on that. Getting, a, uh, getting a, another coaching job, let alone being in his hometown or his home uh, province where he would – where he was born in Saskatchewan, you know, I think it's a good start for him. And I think it was ideal. Actually, you know, I think, yeah. Uh, University of Saskatchewan is actually in Saskatoon, his hometown. So like, it does seem, it seems too perfect for him to go and to play and to coach there. And if you think about it, Babs is the highest paid coach of all time, making Mm -hmm. like year by year, making six and a quarter. He, so he's technically he's technically the highest paid um, NHL coach and now the highest paid U Sports coach because he's gonna. If you think about it, technically he's getting paid six point two five million bucks a year to coach his team. Yeah, yeah. So I guess he hold he holds two distinctions now. Hey man, it's not too bad. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious as to whether or not if he got an offer after being fired from Toronto, if he got an offer for in Russia. Because you saw what happened with a guy like uh, Bill Peters. Yeah, it was Bill Peters. Bill Peters, yeah. And, and Mark Crawford going to Europe uh, to go and coach after that whole – after the, the they got both got fired and uh, that whole situation. And I'm just curious. You mentioned the situation with Detroit. Was it the – are you referring to the Johan Franzen thing? Yeah, exactly. The Johan Franzen. I have the quote here where he called him a um, – he said he was a good coach – but he was just um, the, the worst the worst person he, he's ever met. And that when it came out, it turned a lot of heads on the way Mike Babcock runs his ship. Yeah, you make a good point. But it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that situation because like that's that's a very controversial topic. That's, and I yeah, don't yeah. wanna I don't wanna get into that. Um, but I don't know. I wish him I wish uh, Babs all the best. I love him in his time in Toronto. Like from what, from what we saw, obviously the, the behind the scenes stuff, I I have no comment on. But in terms of from a pure coaching standpoint, like I I wish him all the best. He was a great coach in Toronto, um, mm-hmm. but his time was up. And um, yeah, I hope I do hope to see him back in the NHL some sometime soon. I feel like he's gonna go into an into an assistant coaching job for a year before going and. Picking up another headship. Yeah, he'll soak up the rest of his contract he has with the Leafs, and um, it, I'm sure he'll find another job in the NHL. Yeah, I, I do see as like a um, oh my god, who's that? Who's that guy? He's, um, he was a head coach, but then he went and he was an assistant for the longest time. Oh my god, I can't remember his name. Shit. Um. Oh. Um. Are you referring to the Canadian old Canadians coach Michelle Terrien? Yeah, Terrian, Terrian. He was a head. Yeah. yeah, he was a head coach, and then he went. He was a head coach in Pittsburgh. And then he was the assistant for a while. Uh, he got fired from Pittsburgh the year they won a cup, and then he was uh, an assistant coach for a few years, and then he ended up going back and getting that position mm-hmm. with Montreal, and he's currently somewhere. I'm pretty sure he's an assistant coach. I want the Rangers. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Him. Yes. Him and Lindy Ruff with the Rangers. Yeah. 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 Which that's very interesting having a guy like Lafreniere with uh, with Terry Ann. Yeah. Actually, no, like I don't know all the stories that I've heard about Terry Ann, He's a complete pain in the ass. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, uh, there's been uh, 
uh, discuss or there have been conversations or uh, talkings about him and uh, oh, the GM of the Canadians now. It slipped my mind. I just had him Bergevin. Bergevin, yeah, Bergevin. Um, had some disagreements, but uh, yeah, it, it's all done now. So, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Anyways, um, and is there anything? Uh, Unless there's anything else that you wanted to go over, I think we should cut it off right here. Uh, I think we are. We can touch on the uh, the NHL looking to move the draft, or if you want to save that. Actually, you know, yeah, you make a good point. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, the NHL. There's been room. There's been rumors for the past few weeks, the past to the past couple months that um, that the NHL was considering moving the draft. Uh, for this year back to next year and uh having having the nhl draft go back to back in back-to-back weeks having having the 2021 and 2022 draft going like week out seven days after each other uh, thus allowing for the draft eligible players from this year to have a full season to uh of a draft a full draft season so that they can improve their stock for the for their draft I don't know. Um, it came out today during Saturday Night Headlines that um, the some there's a decent amount of NHL teams that are looking to that that agree with that idea to move the draft back. But there's also some pessimism because of the implications that it could have on rules regarding UFA eligibility and yeah. um, also with the CHL AHL eligibility. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on. The CH on the CHL HL rules. I think is it not after you get drafted? Like it's like you have to be twenty one or have two seasons in the two seasons of AHL or sorry CHL eligibility before you can go play in the AHL after you're drafted. I I'm not a hundred percent sure on the specifics uh, regarding that, but it does make for a uh, complicated situation. Um, in, ter- in terms of sorry, in terms of just pushing the draft back, I I'm not a fan of it, just because you have two different age groups getting drafted, and you know the whichever group's going to get drafted first, they're not going to get the same amount of attention that draft classes prior to have, where they you know people look at them and uh, see what they're all about over the course of a year, where now it's just going to be you know. They, they'll get looked at and they'll have a week, you know, people are going to learn as much as they can. And then the next class comes in and everybody's on to that class, seeing who's there. So I'm not a fan of it personally. What are your thoughts? Um, personally, I, yeah, like I agree with you. I'm not a fan of it, but I do believe that draft eligible players need to get some game, need to get some game time in to improve, their, like to show their true worth. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I know the OHL season is supposed to be starting up soon. Do you remember? Do you know the exact date? Last I heard from a buddy of mine that plays in the OHL, he said there hasn't been a timeline yet of when they're going back. Um, I don't know if that has changed or not, but uh, I, I I don't know exactly when they're going back. Uh, yeah, I just looked into it right now. Um, it is um, currently delayed indefinitely. There's yeah. a new report that came out. The Ontario government is working with the OHL on a plan for the 2021 season. Um, 
Yeah, it was scheduled to begin on uh, February 4th after multiple delays due to the, due yeah. to the pandemic. Um, but now it's delayed indefinitely. I do think that if they were to get some games in, like I, that they should have the draft as of like uh, like as normal in June or July or whenever you whenever the season would end for the NHL. Yeah. But I do think that if they cancel the season, if they do cancel the season flat out because of the pandemic, I think that they should push it back because yeah, like there's no point of having like, these guys need a draft year to get to get that one final push. You do see a lot of players going to Europe to play um to play professional pulling doing the Austin Matthews route in their draft mm-hmm. you're going to play and make some money playing against men in Europe, which I do think that is the best case scenario for <sighs> for these players, especially in the like those who are draft eligible. Um but yeah like granted I'm not the biggest pro I'm not the biggest like draft I'm not the most knowledgeable with prospects and the drafts and all yeah. that um but i do think that they should push it back uh, if the season gets gets canceled or if they only have say 10 games and then the playoffs yeah uh it should be pushed back touching on what you said if they should probably head to somewhere out in europe um there have been players like you mentioned austin matthews that have demonstrated that going out to the Dow League or uh, the KHL has been beneficial. Uh, over there, you're playing with men. You're playing with grown men. And uh, we're in the OHL. You're still playing with guys your own size, your own kind of skill level. And then it's a jump into the NHL, where I think going to the uh, league in Europe is a little more of a uh, smoother transition. It's not as much of a shock. So I do think it could be beneficial to some of the players that are looking to improve their value. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Like this pandemic is changing, it's changing the landscape of this entire industry. Like so many things are changing day to day. Like your games being delayed, like being postponed now. On a, see what in what seems like on a weekly basis because yeah. of what's going on with. Um, like teams having outbreak, having outbreaks or like a case here, a case there, and they have to shut down for two weeks, which is a smart thing to do, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's just very interesting, like, and it's honestly awful the effect that it's had on sports and on the inter- on the entertainment industry. Yeah, it's yeah, I know. It's unprecedented time. I mean, uh, we don't really have anything to go based off of, so it's almost make rules as you go sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah, because like you said, there's not like we have this is this is a once in a generation event. Like there's never been something to go like this that will go and like shut down the entire world for a year. Yeah. So yeah. we are going on a year. We're gonna it's in three I think it's gonna be a year in about March three weeks. Fourteenth or 13th, March 13th, 14th. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I don't know, it's absolutely awful like the situation that we're in and there is a light at the end of the tunnel these vaccines there's vaccines coming out more and more people are getting vaccinated day after day uh Mm -hmm. granted in canada in ontario especially it's been very slow and we've had a a few delays but yeah it's only it's only a matter of time before we get before we get through this and um yeah we just need to keep we just need to keep being resilient and then event eventually this is going to be over. We can get back to enjoying the sport that we love and 
uh, watching games live and everything going back to normal. Yeah, yeah. All right, on that note, um, I, I think we should end it off here. Thank you guys so much for uh, for listening to episode three of Twigs and Twine. We'll see you guys all back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Mondays at 11 a.m. Thank <laughs> you.